Hello, everyone. It's Jesse Humphrey. This is After the Gig. Good afternoon. It is Tuesday, April 28th. I am very excited about today's episode because I have one of my favorite artists ever from the Cranston area, and those are that's a period and then another sentence. He's just one of my favorite artists, um, but he's also from Cranston. His name is Gavin Castleton, and we did this interview kind of around the time of the... Um, the Monty R.I. reunion show in Rhode Island. So it's a little bit old. It's before all, all of the pandemic craziness happened. So we don't really address that at all because it wasn't happening. So it's a, the interview is, you know, within a few days of the one that I did with uh, Stevie Aiello. So I, it was really great to sit down and talk to him. It was a long one. So I split it into two parts since he has a brand new album out right now called Here You Go. I'm going to do the second half of it when we're talking about his solo stuff. Next week will be a lot about um, his early beginnings and with his band uh, out of Rhode Island called Groovis Malt. And very interesting stuff there too. I just thought that this second half was a little bit more prevalent, um, a little bit more appropriate for the music that he has out right now. Very excited about that. Gavin, as a solo artist, has released a ridiculous amount of music. Um, a lot of a lot of the albums that he's come out with have been uh, conceptual pieces. Um, we get into a little bit about that and how his approach is and how it's changed from album to album. I've just always been a huge fan of his. We didn't really know each other before we sat down to talk. He agreed and he came over and it was like, really, really great to actually sit down and talk to this person that, um, that you've looked up to musically for such a long time that is friends of friends and all that stuff. And it was just cool to have him over and talk and, uh, and just hear his approach, hear a little bit about his opinion on music these days. And, um, and how some of those old albums, how I thought, how I looked at them or heard them as a listener and how, and how it's, it's, it was just interesting to have him explain some of those concepts and explain where his head was and where he was coming from when he was writing those songs. So very, very cool to be able to do that. And long story short, he's a very, very intelligent person and artist and it was really a pleasure to sit down with him. Also, I will be going live on Instagram this Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can uh, go to my personal Facebook page. Um, I got the whole sound sitch all set up. And uh, I'll answer your questions. Email me in something that you want to talk about during the show. Afterthegigpod at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe to After the Gig and all that good stuff. Um, if you can check out patreon.com slash slash after the gig think about supporting the show uh, there's some cool stuff on there and um, other than that I just want to get to this episode let's just get to it make sure you stick around for the music after the episode without further ado Mr. Gavin Castleton you're in a good mood That age where everyone is pairing up and 
pregnant Eager to settle into someone they can share a bed with I just want a friend who'll fight to remain in my life to go for it because I, I want to get into like your solo stuff sure. and um so when did you move when did you go back to portland and start doing your own thing um you know when you made records like home yeah and uh the timeline of that is in 2004 i'm trying to remember what came first but no okay yeah 2003 groove small does simon the band starts to really tear at the seams Guys don't want to go on tour as much. We actually turned down some opportunities that we probably shouldn't have. Some guys in the band get like more steady jobs and start putting limitations on their availability. I'm getting pretty frustrated as yeah. a guy that's desperately trying to push us forward and trying to get us further out and trying to get us making all the wrong choices for sure, but trying to push the band like it's the only thing i have it's all i want to do it's, yeah i i want us to do it so i'm taking a lot of those choices personally when i probably shouldn't have and then so i start secretly quietly making my own two records and it's also creatively always a, a little bit of a frustrating band to be in because you don't get to hear your idea like to completion. develop yeah yeah it's always this weird it always comes out I only realized it years later, but I was like, I never made music that I would have listened to. I never mm. made music that I would have purchased. Probably. Maybe I would now actually listen. If I found Guru's Mall, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. It's weird. But at the time, it never came out like what I was aiming for exactly. Mm. I would have liked us to have, to actually get to sound like The Roots or Fatbag or something or Mr. Bungle or any of these yeah. other bands that I was really in, like impressed by. But we always came out sounding like this weird thing. But... I start making these two records myself because I, I built myself, I saved up $200 and I put together this little shuttle computer and I learned about downloading software illegally. And at the time it's really, you can do it. So all of a sudden I have access to some programs yeah. and I'm exploring electronic music and I'm writing a lot of very angry lyrics and very like trying to work through all these frustrations. I'm struggling in my romantic relationships. I'm struggling with my friends, my bands, my family, like everything. I'm just... I'm basically a teenager at the age of 26 or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, really emotionally stunted human being. So Remember the, just... li the line on, like, 90 East where you say, like, you, you, what's, I don't know what song it was, but you, like, want to turn you guys into oncoming traffic <laughs> yeah. or something? Yeah, constantly fantasizing about murdering our entire crew. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. such a great song. I forgot about that. It's uh, so good. Yeah, now you know why those records aren't available, but basically... Um, Are they not available? Not really. I mean, I took them off a lot of platforms. Okay. More because... And not, Dan did that too with his first his first record. Did he? Yeah. Well, you he get did. this point where you're like, you got to be careful because this will be people's first impression. If they find you and they just happen to hit play on that record first, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. If, I mean... It's but like using your high school. What's that? Wouldn't they look at the date? Because you can check, like if I'm going on Spotify or something, and I and I look at latest release. Yeah, I'm usually going to work my way. From yeah, and they and they're chrono yeah, yeah to back. You know. Yeah, that's true. But it's more like I just it's at the age we're in. I don't think you get much of a second chance with listeners. I think they That's form true. an opinion very quickly on the first one or two things they hear. Unless their friends like, no, trust me, you have to listen to yeah. this. Trust me. Short attention span, for Super sure. Super short. So you might only get one shot. 
And if they hear that song from your old thing, yeah, um, it's but it's your puberty photograph. It's not the stuff I'm the most happy about. It's my like yeah. seventh grade photo. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think it's personally interesting in the development of an artist. I would want to hear it if I love that artist's work. I want to hear the. I love listening to old Mr. Bungle demos. They sound like trash. Yeah. Their ideas are hilariously bad in some some places. But fundamentally, I'm more interested in the in the. Um, evolution of this band and yeah. so i love hearing where they got to from where they were but i'm already a fan so okay. yeah. uh, the concern was that this could be people's introduction to to my work and it shouldn't be it should be where they end up when they're hyper curious and they just want to understand why i arrived where i arrived because my development does like you can understand it over mm. the course of these records but so anyway timeline wise I start writing these two records kind of in private, but we live in this giant loft together, so they could probably hear me screaming <laughs> all the time <laughs> and yelling these angry lyrics. I never thought about that, but like my vocal booth was pretty ragtag, so there's a good chance that they actually it's heard just, a, <laughs> it's a hallway and they're like, yeah. What is Gavin doing? He seems really upset constantly, and that sounded like my name. But um, so <laughs> we're not playing that song. <laughs> yeah, that's not one of our songs. We're barely a band. This is weird. But um, so the band's kind of slowing down, and I'm I'm working on those records passionately, and I'm develop and I'm finding this new autonomy and um, control that just feels amazing after that. Like I'm really enjoying writing these songs. So they're pouring out of me. I've written 24 songs in like three months or some crazy. Like hmm. you know, and they're not songs I'd always had. They were just like. The creativity of new tools, access to these tools, all the time in the world to work on them because the band's not really doing much, and all the emotional turmoil needed to fuel lyrics is like a perfect storm to make two full-length records to launch this solo career. I buy way too many copies of both of them, I like, <laughs> and I decide I'm going to start trying to play some shows. My early shows, uh, I mean, I shouldn't even say clarify by saying early but the shows are horrible i'm just constantly trying to find a format even the show i just played with you guys is still me trying to figure out a format that uh, that puts me in the place i need to be to do the right performance and i cannot figure it out well some of it seems like has a big aspect of almost like performance art like you're yeah. performing the song sometimes it does you didn't have the loop stuff happening right. there it was just you were just playing the tracks yeah yeah, yeah. It's very but, karaoke, but then there's these weird performance elements that could be funny or interesting or well, whatever. I, I thought know? when you had the Trump, the, the Trump thing was <laughs> absolutely hilarious. That was to amuse me the most because I needed <laughs> to enjoy watching my friend do that. But um, And some of the early shows, there was a much stronger element of performance. I was trying, I was yeah. just trying a lot of things and I was trying them in really weird contexts, like really weird non-clubs where I could get a gig, um, and like I did a whole robot show for two things where I made these giant cardboard robots and then I had them play as my band. Like I set them up with instruments and then, but it was all pre-programmed and then each song they would like malfunction and ruin the song so that I could get like a bat and beat them to death on the stage, like destroy the robots. And then I would do all culminating into this thing that for some reason I thought was really funny of making them sing. Oh no, it was, I started the show by having them sing We Are the World with me. And then, but one of them would screw up and then I would berate the robots and then it culminates into me like destroying them, doing looping stuff, saying like, I can't trust you guys to back me up correctly. And then playing looping stuff 
and then having a guy in a robot costume come out of the backstage and battle rap me about so it's like you're developing this story on stage yeah within the allotted seven people and no we could probably know what i'm like what are you what is this like you're playing for 30 minutes and they have and and yeah i mean i think i would watch that and it's a story and i get yeah and there's all these little jokes in it but it's also it is my songs but i'm letting them train wreck my songs over and over again and then i do this one battle rap where i'm rapping and the, the rap the robot is rapping all these samples that are programmed from the soundboard that have to be triggered in time with my loop because nothing's to a click and we have to hope that they're accurate and all the raps and it's just like rapping like that and yeah. it's rapping about like i still remember like i smoked that pentium tron i came from megatron um like i'm the will smith bitch of tech no i'm i'm the like all these, every every lyric was a reference to a movie where the robot goes haywire, like Terminator, I Robot. So it's a really good rap in a way that's really funny. But as an audience, you might not even be able to make out what it's saying because you know it's like rapping well, it's like, like that. It's a really interesting co- concept. Yeah. But if if the audience doesn't know, yeah, what that or they you have to like. You have to take time to figure it out later. Mm-hmm. Yep. You it's can't a, figure it out in the moment. No. they. Yeah. And I thought I sequenced the show so that you see the robot. I mean, it has an actual story arc. because. And then at the end, I asked the audience to vote whether or not they want me to destroy this robot. But it's my friend in a costume. You know, like a giant <laughs> robot costume. And in... I, enrode, I did it in two times. It was so... I took like weeks to make these paper mache robots it took so long and to program all this music and come up with this thing and i was just playing at the century lounge for like 20 people and i was opening for bands that were nothing like like it didn't make like any they sense. only knew how much time and effort you totally put into it. it was so bizarre and but such a weird allocation of energy on my part but i was just trying to figure out what what could i do as a solo artist that would amuse me yeah. and make an impactful show and then i did it again at harper's ferry opening for these friends of mine the bad rabbits guys that actually liked my music and brought people to the room and imagine you ask gavin to come to because you heard dark age or you like group of small yeah and then he does this weird robot show at a sports bar and then at the end of that one i feel like i asked them to vote on whether or not to kill the robot and the people are belligerent so they tell me to kill the robot but we had planned for it so i cut off his arm which was tucked inside. And we had this blood ready to shoot blood out of his armhole. But unbeknownst to me, he had been told backstage by a stagehand, you can't squirt blood all over the stage. So we had this whole rigged up thing for him to shoot blood. And then we, he had to cancel the idea. So I cut off his arm on the stage and he tears off his helmet and starts screaming. And there's no blood coming out. So I'm highly confused by what is happening. And the audience definitely is like, what, what the is fuck? this? Yeah, it's like so strange. It's such a strange series of events. They thought they were going to jokingly tell me to cut his arm off. Then I really did. But then there's no blood. But the guy seems really upset and is screaming and runs off stage in a giant costume. And that's the end of the show. I'm like, well, thanks, guys. Like, <laughs> Have a good night. I got CDs in the back. That's my time. <laughs> yeah, that's Buy my time. Buy a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Eclectic Collective is up next. You're going to love them. It's like a nine-piece funk band. Sorry. You know, like it was just such... A weird series of experiments. It still is, but I like, think even going further down that road and just and just trying for the 
the blank stare reaction out of the audience <laughs> is incredible. Like, like you're the Andy Kaufman of, of he, he would be a, a huge influence, but, but I also really wanted my songs to be heard. And I, I really thought I needed to yeah. say some things and connect with people. So that's where the weird disconnect is. But it's funny telling you that story now. Sorry, I'm cut off mic, but that's fine. That weirdest trophy performance at the strand is the great great grandchild of that robot show. That's still me in my head, like the performance art piece, finding that really amusing. Yeah. And thinking, and like, if I had had more time and really thought about it, I might have tried to make that more cohesive. So throughout the show, he keeps showing up or somehow, but I also didn't want it to feel like a political show. I just right. thought that song is really funny to me. And my friend was going to be there and I knew I wasn't going to have a band. So I couldn't. So I needed to on stage do more. Right. So it's also, but it also amuses me to have a set that seems fairly cohesive and normal and karaoke and consistent. And then this one weird thing happens yeah. for no apparent reason. And then it stops happening. And then like, that's still funny to me. <laughs> well, it just stands yeah. out. It just, it just really stands yeah, out. It's just bizarre it's to like, put on a costume for one happening? song and then go back to what you were doing. is like its own joke in a sense. Um, but, and you anyway. were taking like, what was the, um, you took off the t-shirts at the end. Yeah. Did you have th in, um, was it three t-shirts. I, I couldn't eight, really see from where. I, okay, I couldn't really see exactly what you were doing. Yeah, a lot of my friends thought I gained a lot of weight at the beginning of the set. It was great. They told me that when I walked out, they thought that um, I had I was considerably heavier, and but it looked weird because my head wasn't. But I um, that actually was more. It's this weird callback that I don't know that anyone would know. But like I played a show in 2007 at the strand. It was the last show I played at the strand. Mm. I premiered the bullet lever key record at that show because I had written the first song. It's, this is the most confusing way to articulate what I'm trying to say, but the last song on that record is 2007. It's a reverse chrono chronological record. So, and it was the first song I wrote Last song on the record, first song I wrote, and it's the beginning of the chronology. It's 2007, so the earliest year. Anyway, I wrote that song after playing an, a show at the Strand before when I premiered it. So a different show. I play this show. I have a frustrating experience where I just feel like, where am I getting with this? I'm mm -hmm. getting to play these huge opportunities, and I'm not connecting the audience correctly, and I'm not, and it doesn't feel like I'm, like it doesn't feel right yet. In all the ways that Ibu Gogo always felt right, I can't make this feel right. Why? Like, I can't get to a comfortable place making this music on stage. The performance is just not, I don't know why. Sometimes yeah. it's my band members, sometimes it's my song choice, but whatever it is, I don't feel home yet. And so I wrote that, that record, Bullet Lever Key, designed to like give artists reassurance when they want to quit that maybe they shouldn't. So all mm. it is is a reverse chronological look at my life if I chose to give up in 2007, right after that show. So it ends in the beginning, right at the end of that show. Yeah. So flash forward, I finish the record. It's 2000. It's I finish it in 2007 as well, and then I play a show at the Strand opening for Mike Dowdy of the Soul Coughing, and I think Brett Dennon plays the show too. This artist, two very good solo artists yeah <laughs> and then there's me and I, and I do this show 
but I get a band together for it. In fact, one of the guys from Fatbag plays percussion in that band for okay. me, and he plays on that record. Atticus Cole, a really, really talented percussion that plays in Lettuce. So, I for that show, I wear these shirts, white shirts, with the names of the song, 2054, 2042, 38. I think I've seen a video of this. Maybe. Man. And then, and I also did it at Harper's Ferry, the scene of the crime of the robot thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I tried it there, too. But... I wore the sh- shirts and I poured, I just pulled them off for each song. And, and I had, for those shows, I had like a briefcase and a tie for the begin or for the, yeah, for the beginning, the end, AKA when I'm older, but I couldn't get prosthetics to make myself look like in a perfect world. I would have somehow been able to look very old and then not, I could just walk yeah. a little slower and act a little older, but I don't think that really made it to the audience. I don't think they got that, but I wore those shirts to help explain what's happening. Flash forward 10 years, I'm doing the Monty R.I. reunion. And it just, and I knew that emotionally it was going to be poignant being in that room where I grew up. The Strand was the most formative thing in Groovis Malt's life in a lot of ways for other reasons. Um, A lot of our biggest shows were there. Our manager worked there and we kind of worked there and all kinds of things. So it's an important room to me in Providence. Lupo's is too. I mean, all these rooms were informative for sure, but yeah. So I did the inverse. I did the black shirts for it. Same idea, reference to the last show I did here ten, almost ten years ago, more than ten years ago, I guess. But like, um, and in a similar circumstance of how do I make this show interesting as a one person? How do I communicate these really um, uncon not not to give myself that much credit, but this pretty unconventional song um, list. To this audience that's not I would ready, say it's pretty not, unconventional. Not yeah. open to that. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of this reference to this earlier thing. But I also just love the idea of this joke spelling out so slowly that the audience would be forced to pay attention. I knew that right. attention was going to be the hardest thing about this night for me. I had no idea how bad it was going to be and how hard. But I knew it was going to be hard because I knew these were not my people. And I yeah. knew that they were not they were there for a very special thing we had the same and then there's me we had the same struggle with with our set totally so. i assumed you would um you guys were louder which was good but not loud enough yeah you it was, i mean you, the, you got first support volume but it still wasn't yeah. correct the whole the whole thing was just like finding the balance of like okay these people are here to see monty ri which is a very yeah. high energy yeah. rock totally. heavy show totally and they know the music they're fans it's all friends and stuff yeah and the balance between that and like these people aged 10 years maybe they're into maybe it would be nice <laughs> for yeah. them to hear a little bit something different yeah. lighter because totally. we were you know whatever i had a similar th- opinion you know where yeah. i was kind of like they might be open to hip-hop now it's 10 years yeah. later. They probably heard it quite a bit. So I'm going to lean into that because the other two acts aren't going to do that. But I actually think, and they're out to party, so I'm going to play some more bouncy stuff yeah. instead of my sad guy stuff. I just So I did put a lot of thought into my songs and wh- what I thought I was going to do, yeah. whatever. But I love the I love the song choice. Like I was out front for most, cool. for, for most of your thank set. You. And it was cool. Like I just think during when when we were all doing the sound check, like it was a really cool vibe that all of us were there. We're all friends yeah. and everything. It was really nice. And then you have like the staff that doesn't see it that way. No. And 
when we were sound checking, I remember having like, you know, my hi-hat mic was like three feet off the hi-hat, um, like to the left. Yeah. I'm like, is this picking up that and the symbols that are over here? Because I don't see an overhead. Like, I'm fine. I'm not trying to be yeah, yeah. whatever. But then yeah. it was just like, yeah, it sounds fine. I was like, all right. Yeah. Do we want to? Yeah. Is this your job? Like, are we going to try to do this the right way? To be or? honest, like, yeah. staff at Lupo's has always been that way like since i was a kid that's how they behaved always yeah they never wanted to be there we used to have there was a another guy i hope it wasn't mike the actual guy that was there that (laughs) night but he was around back then he like i knew who he was but there was a guy that used to mix at the met i still remember our record release party how much work we did our first cd sound so maybe it wasn't that record but some record huge deal to us yeah you know how it is and promoting our asses off we sold out the club and we got our friends who could play strings you did we did what monty did whatever you know you try to make it a big thing yeah and he said we get these string players we rehearse like crazy with them we got a tap dancer like we're doing we made programs to hand out at the met in providence i mean we were doing all this stuff to make it a special night the the guy wore a tuxedo to hand out (laughs) playbills that were just full of nonsense that we thought was funny <laughs> at this show point is like it was important to us yeah. as artists is what we were trying to do and i still remember the sound guy coming up we're the only thing he has to do that night and he goes well guys listen how about tonight we lose these guys gesturing towards our string section and I, I, there's not gonna be a lot of room up there for your horn players <sighs> actually suggesting that we remove members of our band so that he could wire the stage easier and recognizing in retrospect yeah we probably should have thought about stage size and all that sure but what a weird thing to suggest like how do you ever tell a band to lose members of their band at their headlining it was so strange to even think that was an appropriate thing to say yeah and then he was so angry with us we're going, ah, we're going to have to stick with them. <laughs> We've been rehearsing. Put a lot of effort into yeah. P.S., you're welcome, because we have strings in your shit club. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're going to make a nice show tonight, and you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. And we promoted the show. Like, how... It's like, why can't you change your attitude from being, like, super lazy about yeah. it to being on board and wanting to, like, make yeah. this sound awesome? He fundamentally just hated working there, I think. And I'll never forget telling one of the dudes in Rustic Overtones that story. Like, you're never going to believe this. This guy actually asked us to kick out our sax player, who's, like, in the band. It's not even an auxiliary player. Yeah. He's always plays with us. Like, yeah. what a weird thing to say. And Tony from Rustic said... Oh, that's Mike, whatever, probably a Mike. And he's like, you just got to bring him a box of donuts. You didn't do that? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, every time we play there or Lufus, we just make sure to bring him a box of donuts. He treats us like, I mean, he's the happiest guy. Oh, my God. And we're like, okay. But he also taught me, he's like, did you tip him after? I'm like, no, what? I didn't know you could tip sound guys. I didn't know that was a thing. And he's like, know. we always tip the sound guy. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> like, they hate you. They always hate you. <laughs> they hate you. <laughs> they always hate us. Like, I get it now. I'm like, well, they hate us because of our instrumentation and whatever, but they always hate us. None yeah. of them. There was only one or two sound guys in New England that seemed happy to work with us, you know? Yeah. And maybe we were obnoxious. I don't know. But, like, 
I didn't think we were. We were always like it's just always the vibe. Timid. Yeah, I feel like anywhere I ever went, you yeah, know, with my early band out of Boston, yeah. you go and you do sound check, and they're like, oh, like yeah, they're just mad. They're just miserable. Yeah, you know? they're miserable people for for reasons that are probably fair. But I don't actually get that a lot outside of New England. I just mm. get it in those clubs I grew up in. So I thought it was the standard yeah. thing. And I had not experienced that for a long time, being in a headlining band like the Deer Hunter, where you bring your own sound guy and everyone in the club treats you really well. Yeah. Because you, you spring a lot of people. I forgot until being there the other night and being treated that way. Yeah. And, and it was heartbreaking to me to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, it doesn't matter how old I am, how long I've played this club, that I grew up here, that I whatever, that I worked for months on this show, yeah. that this means the world to me you don't even want to be here. Yeah. And you're irritated that I need more than three lines for my music. You yeah, it's know? crazy. It's crazy. I can't even imagine. The guy literally came up to me after we were done. I was trying to be like, nice be like, hey man, didn't yeah. get, didn't, didn't introduce myself or whatever. And then he literally said like, yeah, I don't feel good. I don't want to be here. Like, sorry. <laughs> what a crazy thing to say. But he, apo he apologized oh. and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, you know, we're just all trying yeah. to make a good show for the, 1200 people that are gonna yeah, be that have been waiting tonight. 10 years to have a fun night you know this is a big night for everybody yeah. you know maybe just uh <laughs> amp it up a little bit happy face Man. yeah yeah totally um, he was mike was really nice to me he tried to help me work through my issues but i also my pedal broke because he didn't want to swap out two xlrs yeah he wanted the drums to be over here and he didn't want to go like this yeah. So he said, reroute everything in your pedal that I've been programming for a month and a half. Yeah, it's just so silly. And then I tried, and then it crashed my pedal, and I couldn't do my set the way I was going to do it. It's so silly. So I, it was really hard to feel good. Like, I it kind of squashed a lot of the, the nostalgia I had about... I, I remembered all the downside of working in those rooms all of yeah. a sudden. I was like, oh, I forgot how much... They're not stoked on creativity here yeah. sometimes, you know, like... I love what they did with that room. I had so many memories of playing these amazing shows there. And then there's also that other side of it of like musicians get treated pretty weird in this town sometimes. Yeah. As much as support as we did get, I also just, just a weird feeling. Anyway, that's yeah. a trajectory of my solo career. So <laughs> I, I, I made those two records. I, I kept making more records. The band made one, Grubus Malt recorded one more record, very different, Maximum Unicorn. We sat on the thing for six months, maybe it didn't work on it. We just tracked it all and then we stopped playing. And then me and Brendan went back and pulled it up and like started fixing it and working on it and making yeah. it into the record it became, which was this bittersweet symmetry to our career because he and I were kind of the beginning friends. Mm -hmm. And then he and I finished the last record together. And then... Um, I was then doing solo stuff, and Ibugogo started a year later. I did, and a lot of my friends, like Monty, Justin from Monty, and Andrew, and um, not to disparage the other guys in any way, but those two especially jumped in and like helped me make videos and told yeah. people to go to my solo shows and probably invited people that asked them why did they have to go to these weird experiences that yeah. didn't end up being really strange. I'm trying to do these local shows and get shows. I'm playing with the Bad Rabbits guys. I go on a tour with them, trying to figure out looping stuff. I start doing more looping stuff to figure out a format. At some point, we have a group of small Maximum Unicorn show. I play that show with like a CRT monitor, so some form of karaoke, weird guitar, yeah. performance art, garbage, weirdness. I do 
Bullet Lever Key, mm, a couple other records. And then, and we're all starting to move into our own apartments away from each other in a way yeah. too. A lot of the other guys going back to school or doing something more formal. And then I have this massive breakup here in Providence with the person I've been with for five years. And then I start writing home at that point in Lincoln here. Mm-hmm. Mm, Justin helps with the artwork for that too at some point. And I'm running around New England recording with Rob Pemberton, the guy that tracked Simon. Mm-hmm. Soundstation 7 was now working out of Fairhaven. So I go and I work with him for most of that record. Now that record, was that written with your your ex at the time? I, I, yeah. Okay. It was, um, well, sort of. I, that, I set out to do that. I wanted okay. to collaborate with her. She was very creative, but I'd never really properly collaborated with her. And I wanted to, I was trying to be a better person and I wanted to let her write her side of the story. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to color the story a lot. Yeah. Because I was in a lot of pain. And because I was still just really self-absorbed, obviously, because the record, <laughs> obviously, because listen to it. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway um, so I had her write the female perspective from the beginning. And then things in our breakup, which took a long time, got more and more tense and terse mm-hmm. as we were meeting other people and, you know, extracting ourselves or whatever. And I couldn't really maintain, you know, amicable collaboration halfway point so that's when in the record the zombies hit and then from there things deteriorate so that that idea happened mid writing i think i knew i wanted to be have zombies in it okay because we both love zombies okay but in a lot of ways the album developed in real time okay even the punchline of the record i didn't know until i arrived at it because i wasn't i did a lot of not enough, but I did a lot of work on myself in the process of the record as a person. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, wouldn't have had whatever wisdom is in the last song. I didn't have it when I started the record. Interesting. I only arrived at this realization at the end. And I wanted that because I, I knew, I, I did know that it was a process, a, a grieving and healing and learning process, the breakup. I, I embraced it as that. I didn't run from it. And I, I wanted to chronicle it with the album, but I also really wanted her to like the album. And I also really wanted to try all these creative ideas. And I also really wanted to collaborate with her, try to, you know, there's all these things. I wanted to document our relationship. So the first half of the album is like flashback, kind of. You know, it's all like before. Oh, it feels like that. Yeah, like it's happy. Like each other in, in the, way, yeah, the workplace. Or yeah, whatever. there's this love history thing. That was at Daily Bread down the street. Interesting. That Coffee Locks takes place in there. And... um that's such a great album. Thank you. I just have to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's really, really awesome. It was the, kind of the first, in a lot of ways, it was the first real album I made for solo, I think. But also because I had an actual budget from a small label and I had, um, uh, you know, all the inspiration in the world to make something. And I was locked away in this house and I, I wasn't working a lot. So I really focused on just working on that record. So it kind of develops in real time, mostly. And then... Um, that came out, and but then halfway through it, I moved out of Providence, I yeah. st- or out of Lincoln, really. But I just couldn't hold it together in this town anymore. I was so, yeah. I was struggling so hard to feel okay here, and that I just packed my stuff and I kind of left in the night in a way, and I drove to 
Oregon, where my sisters were. And I just slept on their couches for a month. And I also, though, had tracked the majority of the record. So I brought those files and I edited them there. Oh, okay. And so I edited them in Oregon, mostly. And then I came back to mix them in Fairhaven with Rob. And I stayed at his house um, and never even thanked him enough for letting me. I must have been just this basket case of a human being. Like in my creative, thriving creatively, but also just emotionally whacked, I yeah. would think. I mean, I don't have I don't have that same element of creativity to myself, but like in just that artistic thinking pattern or whatever. But I feel like whoever was working with you at that point had to understand like what was kind of happening that you're like, all right, Gavin needs to do his thing. He's in a weird place. And he's in a weird place. And we're going to, we're going to create this, this album. I mean, it just came out. I think it came out. He great. had worked with Groovis Malt. So it, that album's more normal than Groovis Malt even. I don't know what Rob thought at the time. I, never, I would say that that album is, is pretty normal. Uh, I mean, whatever. Uh, normal, it, it, more normal than Groovis Malt. I mean, I, yeah. you know, the song structures and things are just a little easier to yeah. digest. And um, it follows, it follows a, a narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's an, a very important person that was involved in that process too, Brian Cass, a phenomenal musician, teacher at Berkeley, producer, um, you know, just all around genius dude that's one of my best friends that lives in, um, I just visited a few days ago and he lives here. He was at that show the other night too. And he, um, I kind of, I think, I kind of met him when we were recording Ibu Gogo's record Worlds in 2008, working with Rob again. And then he was really at my side for a lot of home and just instinctually understood everything I was trying to do musically, but had these, had the ability to execute on some ideas that I had that I didn't know how to technically do them. I just knew I wanted to do them. Yeah. And my favorite weirdest example would be asking Brian, he could just plug in and do, you know, help with anything I needed to do. And he really got all the sense of humor behind different ideas. And like, we speak the exact same language from the cultural standpoint of referencing old movies or video games, or whatever, you know, he fits in the mindset of all the Ibu Gogo guys. We, we could all yeah. we get each other in this one way. And I remember asking him at the end of a song called, geez, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's like the third song um, on home. Maybe it's the third or fourth song. Um, I was like, this part needs to sound, it's when we like finally kissed. It needs to sound like we're coming out of the water like a mermaids or something stupid, like dolphins or something like something. Is Dis that the really Disney. like the really or orchestral sounding song? It's like, um, Maybe it's this thing. I, I'm trying to remember because it's not war paint. It's the one before that. Um, but it's the end of this song goes into this, weird groove and going into it, there's this really weird drum fill that drops like an eighth note it should be just like that it goes like this okay and i th I, I think i was thinking of the one that has like the the three over four ding, 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 no that's ding. war paint okay so the song before that um i think yeah yeah i don't know who knows that album whatever but 
he, there's this Tom Phil. Did you say who knows that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they will because I'm going to describe I, it in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> there's this Tom Phil, and I was like, Brian, it has to sound like we're blasting off. Like, okay. This is when the two protagonists make out or whatever or meet or I can't remember, but there's a climax of this moment. Yeah. It has to sound like the toms of this drum fill take off, like shoot into space. Yeah. It's like, all right, let me, let me see about this. Like I, that's almost all the description I gave him. And he just goes away, comes back in like five minutes. He's like, like this. And he hits play. And each of the time, I can't remember how he did it. I would be better able to understand now. He was really and is really good with Ableton and and seek and programming and all this stuff. Okay. Synthesis was his degree at Berkeley, I believe. And he comes back and the Tom feels like they shoot like fireworks. Oh man. It was so awesome. And also like Isn't it so nice when you can describe something yeah. in whatever way you think Yeah, my stupid artist way of can, doing it. And they can decipher that's exactly why, what you mean. That's, that's why he's that's a special one of my favorite people to collaborate with because he doesn't require them much description. Right. And he He's understood guessing. what I was shooting for and he understood how to do it. It was such a boon because I might have been able to figure it out, but it would have taken me forever and I wouldn't know the right way to do it. And he I could do I could outsource ideas like that to him at times. That's one service he provided in the making of home that was really critical. Um, he did a lot of the programming and stampede. He made a lot of the electronic sounds. We, I, for that song, I was like, this is two people finally dancing together as humans. So we're going to marry acoustic and electronic drums mm. for the first time in the record. For real, they're going to marry and they have to layer over each other and sound right. But I also, I want this to sound like Prince meets um, this other artist. I can't remember at the time. I, each song is a mashup of two artists too. That was the other thing. It was like this song we're doing D'Angelo meets this, this song we're doing, you know, this band meets this band. So interesting. So each song was like, that was just guidance for engineer and for help production from Brian's standpoint to say, this is what I, this is why I'm writing it this way. And these are the two artists we're displaying in this song. Mm -hmm. We're stealing from in this song, you know, mm -hmm. it was guidance for them to say, that's what you're shooting for. And here's some songs by them that will help if you don't know what I'm saying about that. But yeah. for that reason in Stampede, there's mm, like the beat is a little princey. Yeah. And the snares and the electronics we're using are dry, a little princey. They're yep. a little bit dry. And some of the synths are a little, 80s yep. because of that right they kind of come in zap in and out exactly yep. so there's candy like that that's modeled after prince prince's music and we're dancing together but it's a dance like i wanted so brian programs all the drums for that and he just goes away comes back plugs it in what's about what yeah. about this and it was very rarely would i have any kind of adjustment or comment a bit yeah, that's like I mean, exactly what I... It know, comes like, across. Yeah, it comes just, across he perfectly. He just nail it. Um, he, so he was really... So he was witnessed all of that too, um, of me working through that record and was critical in helping me realize this vision and being along for the ride of it and um, playing wiffle ball with me in-betweens and whatever. Um, anyway... I'll get too caught up in these kind of details. It's bringing me back. Oh, it's great. But um, people love this stuff. <laughs> I do. Um, but we finished that record. Huge, huge generosity on Rob and Brian's part, taking major pay cuts um, or probably no pay at all in some instances to help me realize the record. Um, knowing that the budget is super limited, but we're trying to do this orchestral thing and incorporate. And Lauren Coleman flies out and records with us for a couple of days and 
embraces her role and does this phenomenal job for probably not enough money and like becomes a close friend of mine and like um, executes perfectly mm. on the, I still remember having these sweet little talks with her explaining her the motivation. So it's very much like a play too, where I sit down and go, this is what happened to you. And you you do put it, out videos these of, the lyrics. of, yeah, we were kind of trying to document some of these moments too. Yeah. yeah. And um, she's an artist in her own right too. And, um, and, but she was really cool at, um, I'm like in this, you are um, Judy uh, Garland in this song. You're doing Judy Garland. And, mm. um, and this is why you're mad in this song. And she's really good at taking, like she could be in plays, I felt like. Better yeah. at me, at the acting portions of this album. Hmm. But she has to, I have to tell, or I, I try to give her the story of this moment, you know, before she goes into the booth and then sings it. And she did really good like awesome i i didn't really know her before this collaboration very much my friends just said you got to hear this girl wow and she agreed to do it and i heard her demos and she sent me some takes of a song you know i sent her like a demo and I was that's like, cool yeah, okay come and do it i had a list a mile long of women i wanted to do the role and really i didn't even know her and then i stopped looking and she, was she agreed to do it and was like okay so she came out and did it she was with us, and then we had this cute little family for a week or something with her, Brian, me, and Rob playing wiffle ball and like trying to work through Gavin's weird vision of the future. <laughs> and, they, and they just all, oh, man, they were just so wonderfully, man, I must have been such a terse person because they stayed, like I don't remember ever friction of like, I felt like, I feel now that I'm looking back, like maybe they really got that I needed to be in full control of this thing and I had an idea of everything I wanted and I I was really I mean I'm always kind of like that of where like I have this very clear vision and decisive nature about me of my music but looking back I'm like I didn't appreciate enough how much everyone didn't try to assert their own voice into what I was doing mm. and a lot of times in collaboration that people need to do that. I need to do that when I work on someone's stuff. It's very hard for me to just realize your vision. Or just take a back seat and just... Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. hard for me. And everyone involved really did that. Like I am now thinking and remembering of standing over Rob's shoulder while he's mixing and just berating him with, <laughs> with ideas and frantic notes. Yeah. And him being this incredibly saintly patient human and going okay yep and only losing his temper in these little moments where he would just get quiet and then of course instead of being a like emotionally aware person and going i'm just gonna give you some space i'm sorry about that that was 10 directions about 40 different instruments did you hear what i said yeah i did that <laughs> i did that like a jerk oh gosh i probably did it a lot <laughs> But my brain is just rapid firing and yeah. I'm hearing this vision come together yeah. and I'm hearing an orchestra for the first time that actually is real instruments recorded correctly. And so I'm hearing all my ideas, way too many ideas, all thrown onto the page at the same time and that this is actually going to work. And so I'm frantically, and this poor yeah. guy, I should have just let him mix and left the room, but instead I'm trying to dictate every last thing. Well, I think to make, to make, a great album or a great like cohesive artistic piece you have to be in charge of all the details if it's your vision coming across you're trying not to leave any stone unturned mm -hmm. so you're like all right this hi-hat i don't like this this thing yeah. here this thing here this thing here yeah. it has to all kind of you know 
mold yeah. into one. And if you're relying on someone else, it's nice to have someone else to rely on that can understand. Yeah, that speaks your language. Understand the vision. I also just think, though, you have to be aware of what you're not good at or any holes or blind spots. If you can know those and outsource them to people you trust, I think it's that. That over years and years of working in Groove Small and feeling like I couldn't outsource things to people and expect them to get done the way I wanted right. or the way I thought they needed to get done, I had a hard time outsourcing and just being quiet and letting somebody, even though those Brian and Rob are, are people you could trust to deliver a quality result. I think that um, at that, and, and I've always, always, not being good at knowing what I don't know mm. because I love learning and I love trying to figure stuff out. But I think uh, Groove is Malt being the greatest example that our records and our songs could have sounded so much better if we would have just let a professional that knew how to record songs do them, let a producer who had written a bunch of songs and had a wide creative scope like give us some advice and listen to them. Yeah. Now I would have more, the result would sound better and would make more, well, like musically be better. We just, and I don't super regret it because we had to learn, but there's a cost associated mm. with not letting people that know how to do their jobs, do their jobs. Micromanaging in any career um, there's a high cost to it too. Yeah. The better move is hire people that you trust, like hire a drummer that actually has great ideas yeah. and really good pocket. And then you don't have to explain them the good ideas and good pockets. Right. Yeah. Or like, and I was not as good at hiring as I should have been, but who um, are some of the, who are the, some of the, you just mentioned, you know, hiring good musicians and people that you trust. Um, who were some of the people that uh, that you played with? Who was in the band on uh, hashtag blessed? No, because um, that like nobody. I don't think there is a band. Oh really? No, I think most of that is. You know what I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the videos you put out. Um, oh, the live performance. The oh, live yeah, performances. Yeah, okay. yeah, those are um, funny enough. One of those was Trump at the show. Um, it's the Rare Futures guys. So okay. at the time we recorded some live footage in the studio. We were on tour, me with the Rare Futures guys, but at the time they were called Happy Body Slow Brain. And it was this pool of musicians that I um, have known for a long time and have always collaborated with me and toured with me and been friends for a long time. Matt Fazzi, um, who was in originally Facing New York back in the day with me touring with them, and then he was in Taking Back Sunday and uh, helped me a lot and has always been a fun person to play with, an incredible performer. Um, and and um, he was supposed to play at the show with us. He was gonna. They were gonna be my band that night at the, oh, at the stand. Gotcha. And then when the guys asked me not to do that, he agreed to be Trump for me. And they just came to the show to support, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so that that in those videos is the band Happy Bites with Rain plus these two drummers that I've been working with as long as I've known them, the Torres brothers which originally were out of the Bay Area, these just insanely talented. So good. Wonderful, humble, easy to collaborate with, frictionless human beings that I love to death as brothers. And the, and together they're like a triple-headed dragon. And so lucky, that was the only tour we ever got to have both of them on the same tour. And we were doing this family band tour where 
we would all play together and play each other's songs. Like we we do my set and then their set or vice versa or whatever. I think I'm, I was at that big thing. Um, I'm pretty sure I was at one of those shows. The Fet maybe? The Fet? No, it was in I think like Somerville or something at a mm. very small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that show. Yeah, and um, you came around and hugged everybody. Yeah, after. that was a really fun show. I had a really good time. That was me on one rum and coke. <laughs> That's what will happen. No, I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was that that band. That was that. That was one of those tours. I can't really. We did a couple, but um, we stopped off at Brian Cast, the one I was just talking about from home. He had a studio in Middleton or Middle something. I'm really bad with the names in Massachusetts, but this cool studio out in Middleton the middle of nowhere right. there. And we went out there and recorded those live videos. So Brian's playing in them too. He's playing a baritone guitar in one or two of the songs, and Fazzy's band, and then the Torres Brothers. Was the band okay. for those videos? Is Brian the one with the kind of, he has kind of or had kind of long curly hair? No, that's Isaac, who okay. now plays, who played in Taking Back Sunday. He was in Happy Body Slow Break. That's right. So they followed friend. him on Instagram, and he and yeah. he's like the king of memes. Yes, he's the king of memes. Um, <laughs> famously, I got him famous, internet famous. He would hate for me to tell this story, so I'm going to do it. I got him internet famous by photoshopping his relentless selfies of him holding burritos <laughs> into a string of him holding dildos <laughs> and it made it to number three on reddit what <laughs> and terrorized him terrified him infuriated him for years to come yeah he eventually thanked me for the opportunity but it took him a minute to understand the incredibly generous thing i'd done for him <laughs> That's and, amazing. And um, the the title was called Barildo. Barildo. Yeah. And that the comment I made, I th- if I remember correctly, was, my friend won't stop posting these stupid selfies, so I did what any good friend would do. And the punchline of it was the last one was him holding this massive burrito. Okay. And that one, I didn't Photoshop. I just Photoshopped a chin strap dildo on his face. And so I think that contributed to him making number three was this kind of like flip at the end that yeah. amused the internet yeah. paparazzi or whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, Isaac was an old collaborator too that was always, was always around this crew and I've known for a really long time and had played in various formations of the group. Okay. So he's in that video as well. Um, Brian has glasses. He's an older guy and he's not in their hair metal band looking band guy. Like right. They're all kind of like hair guys me and brian aren't <laughs> we're the non-hair part of that faction or something but yeah. uh, good hair guys i should say i don't mean that derogatory i mean that somehow these friends hair. of mine have phenomenal hair they you have, have phenomenal hair actually I, you they know, all have phenomenal hair i uh i like have to I'm get envious a, for yeah sure. yeah you know it's, beautiful. it's a blessing and a curse yeah you'll uh, lose it soon with this baby i'll i'll lose it yeah <laughs> <laughs> give yourself six months of no sleep and it'll be gone yeah um i have two two more things i want to hit um sure. So, are you okay on time? First of all, I think so. I, that that made me think. Um, hold on, let me just. We've, we've been going for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got me talking about stuff I didn't. I don't really ever talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I'm good. I think I have to be somewhere in forty-five. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Before before you go to Boston. No, I have to go meet Dave Stem. Actually. Some of his family I didn't get to see yet. Okay, and so cool. we're gonna go eat somewhere in Providence, and then I gotta go to Boston. Okay, cool. I'll I'll keep an eye on it. Um, so with the the concept records, the 
what's the the name of the or the title of the it's probably just an ep of you as pers- in the perspective of like an orderly at a oh it's hospital hymns hospital hymns that was 2007 i put that at the same time as bullet lever key all all my records until recently were kind of out in pairs and they were always two sides of a coin interesting so i did i remember listening just just to not like bop around in different time periods a bunch but i remember listening to that album like a lot really yeah it's like five songs right yeah, yeah. it's like five yeah. songs yeah. it's really quick and it's yeah. all kind of Very like strange it, yeah and i just remember hearing it and being like this is like a diff like an interesting kind of color of, yeah. of a record and, it I, is. and I, didn't heard, I didn't hear anything like it around that time that's the record that got me the budget for home actually that that makes record a lot of sense. that got got me this deal with this guy or that was the first thing he kind of put out a little bit we made a little simple licensing deal or something and um he thought that was interesting i did that i worked here i did a string of doing at that time i was making a lot of records really quickly and i did a string like I was putting a lot of energy into music mm. and I um, solo stuff and I was working temp jobs mm. to try and pay rent. And I got a job working at Kent hospital in Warwick. Okay. And I was just delivering stuff from a stock room to all these different rooms. And so I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to reflect on what a weird place that is. Mm. Hospitals in general, stock rooms in general, the people you work with, the waste, that you like the stuff you throw away is weird. Everything is just weird. Yeah. And in fact, I, I guess I can't get in trouble for this anymore. The first flat screen monitor I ever owned was cause that hospital told me to throw it away and I just hid it by the dumpster and took it. And so a lot of my records were made on the monitor. I stole from Kent hospital <laughs> and I, um, it's amazing. <laughs> and all the syringes I used during that record, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, Anyway, I worked in there, and at that time in my life, I was trying to figure out, I was dealing with a lot of religious stuff with my family, which is predominantly Mormon. And I was and I was mostly fascinated by the fact of the lack of spirituality and religion in the hospital, except for this one little closet-like room that was a chapel, yeah. where you go when your loved one is struggling and you need, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. this cute room dedicated to God, the smallest place there, um, such a strange idea to me. It just in general fascinating of like, oh, this pocket of spirituality in this sterile environment. How yeah. bizarre. And who uses this room and what's the deal? You know, whatever. And um, anyway, I designed that record as a litmus test, a spiritual litmus test. I wanted to make a record. And I don't think it, I didn't think I did a good job at that. So, so, I, don't, so I don't expect anyone to see it that way. But I designed Bullet Lever Key at the same time to be a record that I want you as an artist to understand that you can question your path, but stick to your path. That's what I want you to get out of that record if you're an artist listening to it. And if you're this listening to hospital hymns and you're struggling with your spirituality or your religion or your family's religion, um, I wonder, there's no messes there, like I want you to think this way, but I wonder how you perceive this character. Hmm. I just remember I, the the line that always comes to me that I always like remember mm-hmm. and how I think of that album is the the and it might be a weird a weird line to pull from but the the Jessica snapped at me yeah. 
I always think about that that line for for whatever reason. Because it's like a proper noun. No, because because it's like some. It's this dude. I, I'm just imagining like a dude walking through a, a hospital and like something happens and then he understands the stress that this other person's under mm-hmm. and he's not like blaming her for it. Hmm. And that idea to me is is interesting for some reason. That's so interesting. You, that's a very different interpretation mm. than how I thought of it. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I'd like. Oh, to, he's, I'm, I'm he's, gonna listen to it. To he's it again. trying to be no, no, but but not, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't. It's more like, and I haven't thought about that record since you know 2006 or something. But I um. I want. I thought. Here's it, to me that man is 76. He's old. Yeah, he's and old I actually man. wrote. This is. I don't want to go off on this tangent, but I also. There was a point in my blog at the time, I started writing all these pieces, fictional pieces that filled in gaps of these records, a Mm. bullet lever key in between each of them. And then I started writing these pieces that connected these albums and made a universe out of it. Mm -hmm. And so there was one piece where me dying at the end of bullet lever key in Kent Hospital in 19 or in 2054 runs into that guy or something. And that guy's 73. Interesting. Like they're the same age. Something. Or I am that guy. I can't remember. No, he doesn't end up there. But to me, it's this very old man. He's painted on the cover. Like I painted a picture of what I would think he would look like. Yeah. He's been there forever. And he's like hyper-religious in this kind of discomforting way. The, the litmus test, I'm going to bring it to what you were saying. So this isn't me going, yeah, yeah, cool. No, I'm yeah. go back. But oh, you go, man. The, the litmus test was... Do you see this guy as a psychotic or do you see him as this shepherd, as a real spiritual person? Or as, as is he crazy the way that some people perceive religious people? Or is he, um, is he, uh, I don't want to say, ah, uh, man, inspired, I guess, is a, is a G rated word. But like, um, and so he, but also he so he's making a lot of his coworkers uncomfortable mm. like and he doesn't read people very well and he says the wrong he says inappropriate things to them depending on how you feel about religion in the workplace and he, that jessica snapped little, at me he's is, a little preaching he's a little preachy and that jessica snapped at me is a hint that he irritates some people yeah is how i imply how i meant it i think um, but in the elevator, he's trying to come back to Jesus in the moment. He's trying to come back to a place, a, a Christian disposition and say, the Lord tells him they should turn the other cheek. And Lord knows she's had an awful week. Mm. So I dropped two crates and turned around and leave. So I just let it go. Yeah. So he keeps trying to be cool, but he doesn't recognize that she's irritated because he because keeps of, saying yeah. weird things to people. Yeah. That uh, as he keeps asserting his religious beliefs in the workplace. And in the end, he kills a bunch of people. (laughs) Like he is not, I'm not right. I haven't thought about it in a while either. That's fine. (laughs) I also think now in retrospect, like that, I hear the, I know what I wanted and I know that I didn't execute it in a lot of these records. 
a lot of it's not clear enough. Uh, there's a lot of people that misinterpret home and I thought it was clear, but now when I was, I get it. Like um, I get why some ideas don't come through clearly. If you don't execute them lyrically or musically correctly, yeah. you can't always tell your story the way you want it. But he, in the end, he finds all these people in ER. Um, there's been an accident out on 95 and there's, so there's tons of people in there. There's yeah. a pile up and they're crying out to God. He hears them. He hears that as they want to go home. They're yeah. just in pain, yeah. potentially, depending on how your litmus test is. If you think he's touched by God, then when he says, I can't remember how he says it, but he he starts like disconnecting their stuff and telling them, it's okay, you can go. This man is shortly fired after this, I promise you. This is a lawsuit, but like he thinks they're screaming, and they're like crunching up the sheets, like they're they're holding on to their beds and yeah. freaking out and screaming, yeah. "Oh God, Oh Lord, Oh God, Oh Lord!" And yeah. he hears that as prayer. Yeah. He doesn't hear that as terror. Right. You, as the listener, what do you hear that as? Uh, maybe it isn't. Maybe he is saving him. I don't know. It was more like, and the only moment that I've had with that record where the litmus test, where I knew it wasn't a complete failure as a litmus test. Not just because most of my friends and listeners are going to be liberals or are going to be kind of not stoked on religion. My grandmother, who's very religious, cried during the last song and said wow. it was the most beautiful thing she'd ever heard. Wow. And I was like, okay, so she did successfully see it on the other side of yeah. the wall. So the music's not completely tipped enough. That's good. That was a success. Well, because if you're thinking of it in like as a, piece of art and in a fictional environment, mm -hmm. then you can get to that other side. Yeah. But if you're thinking of it like objectively, like if, if like real life, yeah. like don't turn off the machines or don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's me personally. I will, I would see that guy as like, now that I heard you explain it, yeah. I see that guy as like, you know, almost like my mother-in-law in some ways, because she's very religious too, mm -hmm. but is not thinking about the needs and what another person is like yeah. thinking in a certain moment. It's like, all right, here's how I, you know, you're pushing your belief yeah. or whatever on someone she else. She is and, a bias. Yeah, there's a bias there. And, yeah. and um, you know, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your thought is, like there's this the higher thing that's more important yeah you know than, like a, than anything you're thinking of, yeah and you just how I don't it. realize it i that's kind of how my grandmother is and i think that's how it worked and i think that she i think she just you know uh but it's also this choral background i made yeah. the end beautiful but it's got these distorted guitars too so you yeah you have both sides of the story musically happening yeah. that sounds big and moving in a way um, it's pretty amazing. That you I got wanted that something much. on the line, and each of the each of those songs, he goes to a different department and does something a little off color mm -hmm. that 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 person, the patients, interpret in a different way. And you, as the listener, are supposed to hear what he's not getting. I see. Like he says, he's unaware in a way, um, but you also kind of want to believe he's a good people. He's a good person that's trying to help people. Right. So he's not a villain by any means. He's the protagonist, but you. Um, you hear him say um, in dialysis, I think the third one, he's somebody's lost. Mm. And he says something like, you know, 
when I offered to pray for them, they asked me to leave. Yeah. Like, he goes in this room and they're like, yes, yeah. I can't find it. And he's like, I could pray for you. And they're like, please get out. Just you leave, know? Me, leave me <laughs> yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah. So he's having this series of interactions leading up to uh, what could be considered mass murder of like <laughs> just um you know the, of these awkward interactions where yeah. they don't understand him and he doesn't understand them but he has a spiritual imperialism that that kind of oh you know he washes over things and he's also trying to keep coming back to a place of understanding mm-hmm. he wants to be good right and so he wants to in the elevator he's really mad this doctor's in there a doctor doesn't even talk to him the doctor taps on the wall he's acting like he's not there he doesn't seem yeah. like he even wants to breathe the same air as him and then he leaves and then he's like trying to calm down like, yeah you know like it's keep, like remember remember your belief yeah remember what you're supposed and to i do. love that dichotomy for a lot of super religious people really struggle with that it's so easy for me um or not for me it, it's so it's so hard to actually follow through with what you believe yeah. on paper. Well, because the idea of understanding and forgiveness yeah. and then also pushing these beliefs on people who don't think the same They fight as you. against each they other. They fight against you. Yeah. So it's like you're, tr- <laughs> you're fighting against their belief, but you also have to be on their team. Yeah. It just depends on how you feel about your... Um, how much you think you're required to spread those ideas mm-hmm. if you accept that this makes me like really excited required. to go back and listen to it again <laughs> to, to to hear it at, from that perspective because I, I was never like a lyric like i would never listen to things that's why just like maybe that one lyric stuck out to me yeah. was because i was mostly listening to the sounds the groove like sure, how, yeah. how like the the you know orchestration or whatever so now going back with kind of that yeah a story arc to it yeah with the story and and i never you know no one's literally no one's ever asked about that record no really no one's even asked about any of the song or what any of it meant or no i don't think so that's not to say people didn't like it or tell me they liked it i'm saying no one's seemed to have any questions (laughs) so that's interesting all that that talk about it being the spiritual litmus test or his i don't maybe I don't know what that means. That is to say, a lot of this is new information that you're asking me because mm. I haven't been asked to explain it. And, and for that way, I'm not being as eloquent as I would like because I haven't really had to talk through what I was trying to do with it. Yeah. Um, well, even just the concepts of all, well, even just the idea of how are are all of your solo records concept records or no, have, have no. some kind of element of that no the the one over frequency which i did in 2010 was a reaction to my concept records that was me saying i don't want to write a concept record i want to write a very not concept record i'm just going to collect some pop songs and record them in portland it was the first time i was going to do an album there with those yeah. with artists out there musicians out there and it was after home and I was being encouraged by other people to write another home concept E kind of record. What's your next big crazy thing? Is that the thing? record that has you with the pink paint? Yeah. yeah. And I decided to do the opposite. And I lost the record deal over that, actually. Now that I think about it. in a Because it's like a concept in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> so. And there is, there is, that's why I say the closest thing, because there is still a concept in that, 
the title is important and does encompass all those songs and they're not completely randomized as far as their lyrical content it's not like there's not joke songs eh, there's one joke song I guess but um, they're all pop songs it's not musically yeah. that diverse you know what I mean right. it's not like I had a jazz song and a bit of like they're all in the same general corner of music um, so so that song, that album is none. And blessed, I would not consider a concept record at all. I just think I always refer to it as a mixtape because yeah. there's it's sample based. There's a lot of pop songs, but there's just silly stuff in there. Yeah. And it was more just like here's all the stuff that doesn't go anywhere else, and yeah. I'm just going to put it together in this funny. Which experience. is a, it's an awesome, awesome. Album. People seem to like that one a lot. I think maybe because it's not high concept, it's a little easier to digest too, and it's not super dense production wise. There's a little bit thinner of a production to it that is easier to like for your ear to discern yeah. what's happening. You think people mostly gravitate towards that album when they come? Uh, well, it's my last. Even though it's 2014. It's my last full-length pop record. Okay. So it's always home and that record yeah. are the two that people are like, these. Been, they skipped 2010. They don't, my fan base doesn't, as far as I can tell, take too much of a liking to one over frequency. Mm. At least not that they talk to me about, you know? Um, even though from my perspective, that's some of my best writing I've ever done is that record. But, and it sounds pretty good. Like the mix is better than a lot of these other records. Yeah. I think. But they didn't resonate with people emotionally the way these two records did. Mm. And so, and if, and Bless is just the last real full length I did. I did a full length children's record, but I didn't really promote it super hard. And I did, um, I, you know, I've done a bunch of other stuff, but I didn't. But it's the last one I think they would perceive as a record. Yeah. And I think people want me as an album artist, not so much an EP artist, but yeah. I've been doing a lot more EPs lately. So the, I'm, I will be doing. I'm in the middle of a couple full inks that would be will hope hopefully dethrone blessed as like the last. Yeah, well, no, I don't was, have that um, was going to be my next thing. Like, what do you have going on now? Yeah, I'm working on, um, I'm working on a bunch of records. I finally like folder structured all my scraps and put them into fourteen or fifteen different buckets of varying degrees of completion and, you know, presentability. And then I have, um, and then I put them in order of like when I should really get them done. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't really want to talk too much about the concepts behind some of them because yeah, that's fine. I think the ideas are really neat and I'm worried that I won't get them done fast enough. And then someone might do some like it, not cause they heard this or anything, but more because I don't want to jinx myself. But, um, <laughs> but, I I am kind of leaning heavily towards more concept records this year that I wanted to do because I have these specific ideas I want to spell yeah. out. Um, I've been really bad at executing what I say I'm going to do too. So I'm trying to be better about actually doing it first and then saying I'm going to do it. But um, I think <laughs> that's funny. I think that's relative because <laughs> there's a lot of people that say that they're not going to do something, but they also don't have however many out like like i've been saying that i was gonna come out with a record of my own original stuff for 10 years or something and i don't have a single one Not, but do you have the songs like drafted? yeah yeah they're out they're they're like um i did a lot of writing with my old band love in stockholm and in boston and stuff and like my imprint and and stuff 
are, are on a bunch of those songs. Uh-huh. But as far as like start to finish, my own 100%, you know, Jesse Humphrey songs, they all just live in various degrees of of life on yeah. my computer gotcha. and, uh, you know, various degrees of completion. But, oh, well. Sometimes it takes a long time. It takes a long time. For me, it takes a long time. One of the records I'm trying to finish that I've been trying to finish is like seven years old. Like I, wow. I wrote most of the songs seven years ago and I keep revising them and trying to fix them. And it will, if I do it right, it will be the biggest record I've done. Like I'm confident of that and the most important probably, but I can't finish it. Like it just takes me forever. And I just, maybe because it's kind of too big, it's really hard to like get my mouth around it and, and like, whoops and and get, get, <laughs> and get it done but um i was thinking ice cream but that's not that's gonna be the name of this episode hard to get my mouth around <laughs> i should say hands i mean it's more, it makes more sense to say hands I, I can't get my hands around that one but um some of them are more bite-sized too um but anyway i've got a couple uh, my goal was to I wanted to try to pull off a 2007 again. In 2007, I managed to put out four or five records in the same year. And I just wanted to hit that level of productivity again Mm. this year. I built a studio in the back of my house and I filled it with gear. And I just need to have the self-discipline to actually work enough into it and like on it. And, and also to curb myself from doing all, all the extraneous little one-off ideas that I always like kind of get carried away on. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to make a couple more looping videos this year. Um, because you I'm, find more joy out of creating the, the albums and the songs than creating the live show. Yeah. But only because I can't figure out the live show. I love, I like performing fine. Um, it'd be amazing to play in front of a bunch of people that loved what I was doing. And I could more because I'm at a point in my life where I just really want to connect with people and leave them with something that makes them feel happier and stronger. And also, but in a, not, not because I did a bunch of pep rally songs, but because they heard a man uh, be honest and vulnerable in a very public setting. Mm. I want, I, I, I had these fantasies about that show at the Strand, being able to tell stories about the songs and talk about some of the heart, the pain of being in Providence, and um, and uh, and I, I wasn't able to connect with a single person. Mm. I want, I would love to be successful at live performance, so that I could have a room full of people to talk to and feel like I had made them feel better about something. Yeah. There's been, I've some of my favorite, the best I've felt after shows ever is somebody coming up to me and saying that they, this song helped them, this album helped them, or I played the song and it made them cry or they feel, or I guess the best comment ever is I feel like I know you from these songs and they can't know me in the current live setting. I can't, figure it out to the point where I can be comfortable and calm enough to be known correctly. Mm. It, where it doesn't feel stilted or, or rushed or stressed out where they just get to experience my personality and decide if they like that or not. Because ultimately my fan base 
has to be people that like me as a person, as like an artist, because then they'll tolerate anything I want to do. Mm. I don't really want them to be a fan of a specific album or song or anything. I want them to just go, I like this person and what he's trying to do, and I yeah. support whatever he tries whatever, to do. Whatever comes out. Yeah. yeah. That's way more critical to me to have a long, like a, a, a long game career that's tolerant of everything I want to try. Yeah. I'm very scared of um, finding success in a way that boxes me in or in a way that I can't be myself and they don't actually know me. I don't want to have the um, cognitive dissonance or the dichotomy in my mind of being someone on stage that I that I'm not or that I can't be. That yeah. that will I'll I'll get really sick like physically <laughs> yeah. if I have to maintain a stilted personality on stage for too long. I will have problems health wise. So I have to get it to a place where I can just be myself completely. Yeah. And I can't well, I figure you, it out. Well, I think you have, I mean, like I can always really speak for myself, but like, you know, I think those people are out there. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah. you know, Gavin Castleton fans that are going to accept whatever, whatever comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I have That's harvest. Great. I have cultivated a, a really wonderful, wonderful set of supporters that I can't even, believe the way they support me a lot of times i just need to get enough of them that i can financially survive yeah and that and i kind of believe that i have to get the live show figured out to do that or the internet figured out but one way or another like you if you're looking for the specific breed of fan you have to you have to have enough of them spread internationally or whatever to just so that when i want to put out the next record it's paid for and i can eat and then you know, yeah and then you figure out what's next. Yeah. So I'm, I hope that happens. Um, I don't really know. This year will be important for that. And shows like that show are important for that. Yeah. In that I I'm, have to hone in and figure it out. And even as what to me felt like a complete failure, it's still scientific information. Mm. In that I can take that and go, all right, so I know this doesn't work or this doesn't work. I didn't account for this or that and this. And then I need to adapt my dad is a scientist or is a professor. And so somewhere deeply ingrained in me is this pragmatic process of like trying to solve a problem. And so I look at it that I should have been very discouraged long before now. I think. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like no. that dating back to our joke about the curse and my gear breaking. Yeah. Like I'm not the reason the rare futures guys were so wonderfully supportive at that show, despite not being able to play it with me. They just watched what happened to every show happen again. <laughs> they watched my pedal blue screen during sound check. Like that, they've never probably well, met think, a person that like, has such a consistent like difficulties for no clear reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's just but how you're getting out of it is like <laughs> the the art. Yeah. yeah, that's like the part. It's part of the whole thing. Not not to say that like you need to have your stuff break every time and just figure out a way out of it, and that yeah. is the artistic expression. But uh, that it, probably is my brand. I just need to be a better alchemist about it. The problem is, what would have been dope is if I turned that moment happened, and I very slowly breathe and I 
figure out how to fix it like I did, which is okay. I'm going to put it on my laptop and quickly put a set and figure out how to submix this because these guys won't give me enough lines and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have 20 minutes to do it and I'm supposed to be putting on eight t-shirts right now. (laughs) And then put on the best show of my life and like slam. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't do that yet. If I could do that, then it's like, that is my brand. It's a Houdini thing. You know what I mean? But... I can't. I'm too stressed out. Like I didn't, and, and you know, and whatever else, what other the other reasons are for how things went for me. But like, I wish I could get to that. I got to get to that level of escapism, mm. or I mean that in the like, the magician sense. But like, no, I know what you mean that level yeah. of like turning, you know, lemons into lemonade. I'm just at the level where I don't like leave stage crying, but I'm not at the level where like I put on the greatest show you've ever seen. And I did it even though my foot broke, you know, and like my, my monitor broke and whatever. Like you think that having barely survive. It's like, not, (laughs) you know, you think that having someone like, uh, in the same way that you had someone writing the albums with you that could interpret like what you were saying to them, you know, during home, what was his name? Brian. Again? Brian. Brian. Yep, yep. Um, uh, it sounds like you need that uh, that person live that can like understand. You know, it's hilarious that you're saying that because I called Brian the day before the show and I said, you know, it's just occurred to me that if I could get a wireless mic for the show, it's going to save me a lot of stress on stage. The whole set is designed around how can I have the least stress I've ever had mm. on stage. That's why everything. That's why backing tracks. That's why whatever. I want to see what happens if I can just relax and connect with this audience in my hometown. So I set up a show to do that. And I said, but I'm thinking if I could have a wireless mic, I'm going to spend a lot of time moving the mic from right to left and unwrapping cables and then being in the way of my pedal. Right. So what if I had wireless that would actually save me a lot of trouble? And he goes, yeah, Gav. He goes, the day before your huge show that sounds like a really good idea to introduce a new thing (laughs) a new technical thing that you've never used before and i just started laughing because this is a conversation we probably had a million times yeah and i said you know what i probably need is someone that comes on tour just to tell me not to do these things like a second person not he would be an amazing person to problem solve like my pedal broke kind of problems yeah but we were joking of just having a person to be like, no, stop trying to like evolve this idea. The last minute, keep Gavin check. Yeah. It's just like, listen to my stupid idea and then tell me no would be actually probably like a huge benefit. What's possible. And what do you need to just forget about? Yeah. And help me see reality. He talked me off the ledge and I didn't get the wireless. And then when he arrived at the show, I said, guess what? And he's like, what is it? The pedal broke. And he's like, of course it broke. Why wouldn't it break? We all knew it was going to break. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was like, like none of my friends were surprised. That's the funniest thing. It's a brand new pedal. Like, there's no reason. Uh, well, is this like the, the harmonizing thing or the. Yeah, it was a Headrush Looper board. And oh, actually, yeah. there is a reason. It's because I was using beta firmware. Oh. And they advise you not to do that. But they had built a bunch of features that I needed for the show. So I was forced to do it. And I had it stable and everything was working. And then Sound Guy, Mike said, hey, change all your... Our pe- lovely your, sound guy, Mike. Uh, uh, yeah, change your audio routing right now because I don't want to move these two XLR cables on the board. And so I said, okay, I think I can do that. I fucked everything. I hit save and it broke, you know, so... I, I, I'm not confused by what happened, but I am cer- certainly 
damaged. Yeah. <laughs> well, 10 years from now when they do another reunion. They will not call me. <laughs> that's, I'll that's be there true. in my outfit as a roadie, but they will not call me. No, I don't know. I, maybe I'll have figured it out. I that was incredible. I, I, the, I, I, I took a picture of you next to Justin. <laughs> of you <laughs> ready to go in your Zildjian t-shirt oh, and the I bandana. I feel so comfortable in that, in that role. It's like, that was the calmest I felt all night. <laughs> and playing the role of like acting stressed on the band's behalf amuses me so much. Every time one of them come over to their amp for no other reason than just they're rocking out or because they want to make eye contact or like laugh. Yeah. I would act like there was a huge problem. What did I need to do <laughs> to try and like throw them off their game or to get them to tell me, no, it's fine. I'm just nodding at you and go, what do you need? What do you need? What's going on? What do you need? I love the role of the overstressed tech that like just oh, wants overzealous, to overstressed yeah. tech. He's got way too much stuff on and he's playing the role a little too hard. And he feels really important to the band when really they don't, he's totally peripheral. He's absolutely doesn't him. contribute. Um, and being at Justin's side and acting like I need to hold his water and open it for him or like, that's kind of, I fed Andrew Doritos in the middle of the song, which is like, <laughs> you know, that's making sure Mike used to let me like pour a drink of water into his mouth while he's playing. I just, that role is so much more fun than the stress ball that sometimes I can become in my own like moment of getting to play my actual songs, like what is the most creatively fulfilling. But, um, I was really excited to premiere that fanny pack and head, uh, bandana and like the Zildjian shirt, because I don't think they believed I would do it. Yeah. I remember seeing you comment on something. Yeah. Saying I was teasing him with it, but I, yeah. I wanted and them. You did it. And I also got the impression from some comment they made that they had a drum tech coming. And so I was, yeah. I, he, Ryan said they were just like pretending or something, but I, I love the idea of asserting my dominance over a real drum tech <laughs> and, or starting a little weird feud and rivalry while they're trying <laughs> to have this show. And uh, being on the other side of Justin, trying to hand him other sticks or something. I just thought the potential for like a really funny interaction that stresses everyone else out would be very amusing to me. Oh, that's great. And this poor other roadie that has not been warned that some other guy would show up wearing his outfit. And he'll do anything and say anything to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And he won't leave the stage. Like there's no reason for him to be up here. But when he shows up, he's going to be there all night. Yeah. Yeah. He literally just sits by the drum set. He's not doing anything technically, but he keeps asking me if I need anything. I did get a lot of good pictures and video of them from that vantage point, which nice. I was glad to deliver to them because you can never have enough footage of a show like that. You yeah. Know? That's awesome. But, yeah. You got to document that stuff. Yeah. Um, is there right? Do you have anything else? I want to, you know, I want to get you to where well, we talked where a lot. Be. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I don't know. I wish I had more to say about what I am working on, but I think they're, I think they, the things I'm working on will make sense in the trajectory of my concept records in that you hopefully will not have heard anything like it. And hopefully it will make you reflect on your own circumstances a little bit or something. You know, that's what I'm kind of aiming for. But I think I'm just systematically going through different brands of the human experience to try to figure out which ones I want to comment on and kind of, whereas home is like a breakup thing. You have all these huge experiences like child um, parenting Mm -hmm. is this record I'm working on or death or um, gluttony or um, greed, you know, like 
um, loneliness. I'm very, I'm very focused on anxiety. Um, I don't consider myself to actually have a whole lot of anxiety, but in general, the epidemic of anxiety in our country. And I was just talking about some, this with somebody, which is why it's at the top of my mind, but my thought that it should be the number one thing artists are talking about, and it's the mm. least spoken about thing that I can find in music. The, the notion of like this experience everybody's having, this rejection of a habitat, and this weird run of stresses caused by potentially many factors colliding and intersecting, and yet no comment from Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, like it's pretty weird to have an epidemic that almost everyone can relate to and almost nobody can put a name to and artists don't do their job and dissect it and talk about it for people. Do you think it's a, f a fear of getting taken the wrong way from like you say, you know, the example of Taylor Swift? Like, why don't you think she's talking about it? I think it's really <clears throat> hard to articulate. Mm. I'm not talking about it enough because I'm trying to figure out what it is. So I don't think it's a simple problem. I think it's the whole nature of American anxiety that I think needs to be sorted out. The, the hard thing about it is that it is really hard to diagnose what it is mm. because I have these lists that I make about all the different reasons I think we're stressed about what we're stressed about or different things. And, and you can, and a lot of them are being talked about in, um, articles and news and things, but it's just pieces. No one's like yeah. cohesively saying as a species, there's a major issue here that I think about that a lot too, actually anxiety, the anxiety in general, like why? Yeah. Why? Like, what is it? I think it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. And I just think, I think that people, I don't think that I'm going to solve it with a song or an album. Because I think the solution is incredibly complex as well. But I think that people need a name for their sickness. And I think that's a service that artists should provide constantly. Mm. And I think that... Um, so I think some of my records coming up are focused on that. And I think songs like Doom, some of the songs on Blessed resonate strictly because of that. Because that was the beginning of me trying to figure out this problem. Or trying to articulate... A, pe a tiny piece of the problem. So the song Doom is really, um, as my catalog goes, one of the more successful songs. And it's mostly because of the lyrical content and because I'm talking about these things that most people are relating to. Yeah. Stress around their cell phone usage, loneliness, whatever. Doomerism, you know, consumerism. A bunch of the songs on Blessed are the beginnings of those thoughts and ideas. And as a result, they resonate with a lot more people than normal. Yeah. So I also I think, think it's totally accurate. I mean, like what you're saying in, in doom and how it relates to the stresses and anxieties, like loneliness having, you know, is, is it too much, too much technology for our own good or, yeah. or, or whatever. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. seems like the common denominator. Yeah. That's the greatest way to say it. So if you're an artist, that's, maybe that's why I name check Taylor Swift. As an artist, 
who you know is not going to do that kind of thing. I'm, yeah, and could I, be anybody, you know. Could whatever. be anyone. But the funny thing to me is, I I don't even think it's a bad economic choice to tackle American mm. anxiety. Like, I if my knee jerk reaction, if asked, well, why do you think she doesn't talk about it? I'd say, well, because she's a massive pop artist, and because she has a whole organization dedicated to her remaining that way, and she's not going to take risks, and she's not going to talk about sensitive information. She's yeah. talking going to talk about. BFFs and having you know boyfriends that you're mad at or whatever. Like no offense to Taylor Swift at all, she's very talented, but she's not trying to solve cancer either. You know what I mean? Like right. And so, but that being said, the irony is to me is I actually think Taylor Swift could talk about it and it would make her bigger. It would, I mean, actually, a, it would mean a lot. Totally. She yeah. has this podium that'd be amazing to say things. But I her actually, fan base is probably dealing with so many that's of these what issues. I mean. Is it it wouldn't be foreign to her fan base. Right. Some of the things I want to talk about in some of my other records would not go over well with Taylor Swift's fan base. But talking about anxiety and um to super generalize, but talking about the general, let's just say mental discomfort that every nearly every human eye encounter is struggling with on yeah. one level or another is not like a, an outsider's perspective it's the insider so right it would be easy to make money doing that yeah i'm i'm not worried about those records resonating with people at all it's going to be easy for me to connect with people it i just need to do it in a way that's potent and offers some salve or balm for them while they do it. Yeah, you don't open a wound, give it a name, and walk away either. Right. Like, but you can't solve it with a song. But you know what I'm saying. Like, if you can help them feel heard and feel a little soothed and start to think about the problem. Yeah. Because I think the problem's not solved because we're not we don't have a coalition like looking compiling it and really looking at it and then coming up with a clear thing. We have everyone nitpicking at these little things. So you might solve this with medication and you might solve that with environmental conservation and you might solve this with economic nudge yeah. economics or something, but you're not, no one's going, but as a species, this is really weird. But no one's saying like, um, I think we can solve this with getting rid of Facebook, <laughs> you right. know, because it's a, bajillion dollar yeah, industry yeah. and you people, all these you're not gonna conflicts do, of interest for yeah sure. exactly and yeah i think that i don't know i think that artists should lean into that really hard now because they're needed more than they've ever been needed mm -hmm. movies and i mean that every kind of artist but i just mean like if you want to help people with your art like talk about a problem that is a common denominator like that yeah. that's why i will tend to talk lately in my old age talk about death or talk about love you know these topics are more universal and so it's a lot easier to offer that service to more people the service of naming their thing or the service of offering some other perspective that allows them to look at their thing a little differently but yeah i think that's circles back to what i'm saying about tackling the human experience i'm just kind of going through them and going all right everyone suffers from aging i need more i need to make records about aging so i'm making a very very serious record about aging because it's common denominator and then death and then loss and then sickness and you know like yeah. there's all these things that are really wide open topics and if you wide could, open that we all experience that we yeah, better said yeah universal and so if you're an artist that wants to connect with the most people you choose universal topics the only difference between 
maybe that the approach I'm prescribing and say the approach of, again, to, sorry, Taylor Swift, but a, a Taylor Swift-like artist, I only say it because she's the most successful, yeah. not because of anything about her actual right. music. But if you, it, the only difference in tackling those topics is how you talk about them. If you want to talk about them like you're speaking to babies, right. or if you want to talk about them like you're speaking to adults that like really are trying to understand the problem. So if you want to speak to babies, you put it in most of the pop terms we're hearing, you know, and maybe you sexualize it or do some weird stuff to it. But like fundamentally, you know, you just use fluffy terms and you don't really talk about the dirt too yeah, much. Yeah, you don't get in there. <laughs> yeah, you don't get in there. You, you, you give it a very minimal, you know, back rub. But yeah. like, but I think artists should be doing surgery because of how big of an issue it is. And just because of how prevalent and how... Um, uh, dangerous it is when you have suicide so, rates climbing and you have like all these things yeah um and for reasons we can't understand that's just really bizarre yeah anyway that's kind of where i want to go i think with that's these, interesting with these man next records i'm like i'm really i'm psyched i'm psyched to hear hear the stuff that you come out with when whenever it comes out and be tight if the next record is actually just a bunch of sex raps <laughs> and you're like i feel like what the fuck okay. was he talking yeah. about? I just came on this to just say stuff that <laughs> just sounds... Just completely fuck with me. Yeah. 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 My first record will just be sex raps for this next one. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it. I got to call uh, Dave now, I think. Cool. He's trying to figure out. Thank you. I, I Dude, hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming by I, and doing I'm, this whole thing. It's great. I, it's, it's really nice to have... I think it, we got a two-parter. Yeah. And that is it. That's the episode with Gavin Castleton. Thank you so much for listening. Part two with Gavin will be next week. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and download the episodes. If you have any questions, email afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And also a reminder that I will be live on Facebook, playing some songs, answering some questions, having some fun. Uh, Facebook Live, Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hope you tune in. That will also be happening next week as well. Same day, same time. So, thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. Stay safe. Goodbye.
keep my hands in the air Empty and open, stagnant and open to catch you When you fall down in love That clown trips up Am I broken enough?